All right, good morning. Holding the door this morning and uh, watch some of you use the carport to drop off loved ones. I saw others of you park on the other side of the parking lot and walk through the rain. And it was so cute, the last ones, it was Amanda Biddenbeck, and I'm sorry, Amanda, I'm going to throw you under the bus here, but it was John. I'm like, who, who in the world is parking on the other side of the parking lot? I'm going to walk through this rain. And sure enough, here comes little M with her little rain boots on. And I thought, oh, that's what it is. And she hit every single <laughs> puddle all the way here. I'm like, now that's some good parents there, you know. I like that. What a blessing this rain is. For uh, a lot of you have been getting rain. We haven't been, and so we're very thankful for it. And uh, um, anyway, it's, it's, it's the right time. Although my hay hasn't been cut yet. I'm learning these things. It's like, oh, rain. Well, that means my hay's off. But we had cracks. And I, you can't ever be happy as a, as a, you just can't. It's always something to complain about. No, it's a blessing. And the, the hay will still be there, right, to figure it out. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 119 again, and we'll begin in, I, well, I think we're going to begin in 121, is where I have us, if I hope that's correct. Um, Aaron, do we, can we go through some slides? I, I know I, I wasn't going to, but then I just changed my mind, because we added a couple to it. Today's a potluck after second service. Come back for hot dogs and hamburgers if you want to join us for that. And our Mazingo baptism, which is with Grace Calvary Chapel, they're going to come up and do the whole, you know, they do it big, you know, um, which we can do, but we, this is going to be an annual thing, I think. And we'll be at the Host Lions Shelter, which is, if you look at that beach, it's up to the right over here, and that's really not a good, yeah, it's up to the right where July would be. Um, that's where the, the, the place is. But we, we got the other uh, shelter also, so we can park all the way along there now, so we've, we took the whole point out at Mazingo. So that's going to be coming up July 23rd, and we'll do the baptism right there with worship and tacos starting at 1 o'clock, and then we'll go down to the beach around 2 o'clock to start our baptism. But after, well, then kids camp. We have that coming up, and those sign-up sheets are out there. Right after kids camp that next Sunday, we get done on the 5th, on the 6th, we rented the, the Maryville Aquatic Center for baptisms because kids get saved at camp, and we want to make sure and, uh, and so if you're scared of the lake water and you'd rather get baptized in nice, chlorinated, sterile, <laughs> two weeks later is all you got to wait to be baptized in the pool. So either way, we'll be ready for either set. But uh, we, we're thinking pizza. We tried to do uh, Chick-fil-A, but we got to thinking, wait a minute, that's a Sunday. Not going to work. So their truck can't come on Sundays either. So we're going to do pizza instead. So join us for that. That'll be from 7 to 9. Um, and then, is there anything else after that? Or we? That's it. Okay. We need to plan a month where we're not doing anything, okay? And take a break for a little bit. My goodness. I like the busyness, so I mean, it's a good ministry. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we get to spend in your word with uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord and, and with you and um, with the songs we've sung and the prayers we're praying and the word we're about to partake in and eat and enjoy. We pray that you'd, uh, like J.C. prayed, that it would affect every area of our life um, and that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 119, verse 121, he begins, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. 
Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. We remember that our writer here is going through a difficult time, and he's at the, in his prayer, and I think that's fair, obviously. I mean, any prayer you pray is fair. I don't, but it's time, you know. I've been praying a long time. I've, I have studied your word. I have looked into your word like you tell me to, to the point where my eyes can't do it anymore, which is, that's a long time if you can say that about yourself. I've been reading your word and studying your statutes for so long, my eyes can't do it anymore, you know. So I've done my part. Now, he's not complaining. He's just letting God know, I don't know what else I can do. It's, it's, it's your hand that has to do this. It's your time to step in to do this. I've, I've laid this at your feet like your word tells me to. I've, I've, uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to lift everything up to you by prayer and supplication. Let my request be made known to you, you know. Now do it, please. And that's a wonderful prayer. And our father doesn't look down and say, oh, you don't tell me what to do. No, he, he understands that and he appreciates that. I want that, he says. I want you to trust me with your problems. I want you to trust me with your dark times. I want to be able to take you by the hand through these dark times. I like that, you know. There's some places we've taken our kids, whether that's... Um, well, just places that we thought were going to be really fun, and, and, and they are for the most part, but they're, I don't have a specific example, I suppose sometime in Branson or some other place, but you get into a dark spot, you know, maybe you're at a, an amusement park or something, and you've been walking along, but you've got to go through a cave, and it's dark. the zoo, for example, you know. And, and you walk through because you got to go into the darkness to see all the things that are only out at night and all that. And, and uh, you know, maybe the Desert Dome up in Omaha is a good example of that. You go down below. And when the kids are little, it's, 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 it's not a burden to me as a father when I feel that little chubby paw reach up and grab my hand in that dark place at all. I don't look at him and say, what is your problem? I mean, it's just a dark spot. We're going to be fine. Just follow, you know. Who does that, right? No, you take advantage of that and say, oh, they want to hold my hand. And you feel that just chubby paw. You know, I call it that because, I, no offense, Bo. <laughs> Bo's got paws. And I was sitting in the back because I came in a little bit late and I was, I was waiting to come sit up with, with the family. And, and he leans over to his mother, who's not the biggest woman in the world, but leans over to his mother and puts his paw on her shoulder and about envelops now at the age of 11, her old shoulder. And he's whispering in her ear like that. And I keep watching this giant hand. When you reach up with your chubby little paw to your father in heaven, he doesn't pull away. He loves that. He longs for that. He doesn't want us to ever get so old, and every parent, I hope, can identify this with this, to not be able to hear you say to him, I love you, Dad. I love you, you know. 
I need you. I need you in my life, you know. I, I, God wants us to walk. He wants us to run. He wants us to take what he's given to us and run, but he doesn't mind when we come back, you know, and talk to him and ask him and be with him, just like any parent would feel that way. Of course, of course. And so I see the writer here doing that. My eyes are failing from seeking you. I've got oppressors. I've done justice and righteousness. I'm living my life as far as I can tell. You know, I, I would add that to my prayer to God. As, as long as I can tell, as far as I can tell, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I think he means that when he prays. Correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm off, I want to know it. But I'm doing my life like I'm supposed to in obedience to you. I've got people attacking me and they're oppressing me. It's time for you now. Please move. The scripture I have for that, a cross-reference, just one for this one, is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And it may fit and it may not. But he's doing what he's supposed to do, yet he feels like he's not winning the war. I'm battling, but I'm not winning the war here. I don't know if anybody can identify with that, with our culture and with walking as a Christian. So this is the scripture that came to mind. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under by, by, underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We know that. Um, my probably, I mean, my, my earliest memory of walking with the Lord was in Sunday school when we'd all sit in semicircle with our singing teacher. This little light of mine, it's my favorite song still, probably. It's very simple. Hide it under a bush, mainly because we got to yell in the song. I love that part. No, as loud as we could. Hide under a bush. No, I took advantage of that as a little kid, and I yelled loudly. And yet, a city set on a hill is a bright light in the darkness. It draws everybody. It draws people seeking shelter, but it also, it also draws marauders. It just does. It draws both groups. And I think he's feeling that. As, as he lives his life according to God's will, and as you and I live our lives according to God's will, it's going to draw both in our lives. You can't help but do that, you know. Um, it's going to bring people that are living in darkness and need light in their life, and they want an answer to the problems. But it's also going to draw everybody that's going to try to extinguish it. And I think he's feeling that. I'm living my life correctly, but I've got a bunch of people. Now it's time for you to keep them at bay, you know, at least. Push them out. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. I look upon, or no, look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is towards those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from, my oppression, from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. 
Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down my eyes or from my eyes because men do not keep your law. It breaks his heart. He loves his testimonies. We know that. That's what the whole psalm is about. He loves his word. His soul keeps him. It's not just in his head, but it's something that he lives by. He takes his word like the word we're receiving this morning, and he lets it get into his heart. He lets it get burrowed deep down inside. He's going to let it germinate. I'm not going to let any birds take it away. I'm going to protect this seed in my heart. I'm going to make sure that I don't plant any weed seeds on top of it. I want to give it every opportunity to grow and bear fruit in my life. That's a lot of our problem. We take in God's word, but we also take in everything else that's worthless and can't figure out why this word of God is not bearing fruit in my life. Well, it's choked. It's in competition. Everybody that's ever grown a garden knows what it's like. You've got to weed it. You've got to. And nobody who's ever weeded their garden goes out and says, yeah, I found these thistle seeds. I think I'll scatter those among my tomatoes. Of course not. If I'm honest and I really want God's word to bear fruit in my life, I'm going to tend my heart like a garden. I'm going to treat it like it. I'm going to get the soil right. I'm going to water it appropriately. I'm going to let the sun shine on it. I'm going to make sure there's no weeds for competition. I'm going to make sure it has everything it needs. The soil of the heart is really the one thing we have control of. And God lets us have control of it. We wish he didn't. But he does. He lets us have that. Prepare the soil of your hearts. He has. My soul keeps them. The entrance of your words give light. It gives the simple understanding. It makes it makes not so smart people smarter. You know. I like that. I place my hope in that. <laughs> it does. It gives you wisdom. I panted for your word. I panted for it. I mean, that is a desperation. As if you're going through the desert and you're looking for water and you pant for God's word like that. The scripture that comes to mind, I have three of them. And actually, I learned it at the men's conference. Didn't learn it, but remembered it. There are three times in the Bible where there is a national prayer. It's in Ezra and Daniel and Nehemiah 9, all all nine, all, all chapter nine, 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 in all three of those books, is a national prayer. And each time, each one of those three men, when they pray, they pray as if, and these are good, godly men, as if they're part of the problem. They don't say they; they say we or our sins. And I want to read through a few of those just to so understand. In Verse 136 is where I'm drawing that from. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. It breaks this writer's heart that the world is so flippant about God and his blessings upon their life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That came up in a, in a conversation this weekend as well. No matter, no matter who's out in the rain, good, bad, or ugly, you're all getting wet. And that's God's blessing upon your life. That's how you look at it. That's how you... And that's how he does. He says, I'm not going to just put rain clouds over nice people. I'm going to give everybody the rain. Whether they thank me for it or not is completely up to them. Whether they acknowledge it's from me or not, that's on them. But I will do what's right, you see. 
And so as he lives his life correctly, this writer, and he's crying out and he sees the blessing of God and he's so thankful and humble and loves the Lord, it causes him to weep tremendously that the rest of the world doesn't see it. They don't, they don't keep your law. So these prayers are a little long. I didn't do all of them. Some of them are almost a chapter long, so I took three or four verses from each. Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. And Daniel, I don't think there's anything wrong with that guy. At least the Bible doesn't document it. I mean, I'm sure he's a sinner in need of grace, of course, but it wasn't, we don't know. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes and to our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. That's his, part of his prayer. Includes himself in it. As we look around and we see our nation in decline, it's not the first time we've been in decline. They won't be the last. It's, it's, a, it's like this, but it is going down. We have our moments where we come back, but it seems like we go even deeper the next time. And we do have those moments of recovery. I think we saw that in the 60s and 70s. We had a little bit of a recovery there spiritually. And, but this next one is even deeper and darker than it was in the 60s, I think, that we're going through right now. But I plan on a recovery. I know for a fact that what everybody's going through out there, I'm not even going to dignify it, is going to come to a dead end in their lives. They will come to the end of themselves. Before any revival takes place, there has to be a bottoming out. Always is. And we're going to hit a bottoming out here. I don't know how long it'll take. But we need to be ready for that recovery. We need to be be able to give an answer and a reason for the hope which lies within us. You know, during the 60s and, and so on, there were lots of different ways to preach. There were those that just shunned and said, look at that, look at that, look at that. You know, There were those that ignored it. There were those that embraced it and saw nothing wrong with it. And then there were those who were driving to the beach and praying over the, the people, waiting, asking God for repentance, asking God for an opportunity to minister. Our church is birthed out of that, out of that heart. And I hope we're ready for this botting me out that's about to take place in our country and we're ready to do the very thing we've been praying for for years to embrace the revival and help people whom Satan is deceiving he's always gone after the kids he's always gone after the young people he's always gone after them it's nothing new under the sun and we're seeing it right now the struggle the pain he's bringing them to the depths of sin and he thinks it's fun. He has no feelings for them at all, except hatred. So we need to pray. It does break our hearts. Rivers of water should run down from our eyes as we see what's going on in our country right now. But when I pray, I also want to pray with hope and expectation of God's hand to say, thank you for praying. I'm going to step in now and watch him move and be ready to be alongside of him with that. 
In Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, just a few verses, At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities, our iniquities, have have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings, and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, and to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, to humiliation, as it is this day. I don't know that Ezra can help anybody if he changes that prayer to they and them and over there. Every missionary that's ever been somewhat successful has immersed himself in the culture that he's ministering to. Not not adapted to it, not embraced it, but was in it and ministered to it and through and gave the light and set himself or herself as a light in a dark place. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors not to be one of them and never conform to their sin or their tax collecting, but in hopes that they would be able to at least reach and touch and change. He set himself as a light in the midst of their meal. And I imagine it wasn't fun. I mean, we like to think that they were all very respectful and put on their P's and Q's. You know, the, you know, the, the rabbis here, you know, we better stop being who we are. Or was it like it always was, and he sat in the midst? I remember Pastor Chuck telling a story at one of the conferences. I think it's probably in one of his books. I don't know. I don't know where I hear this stuff. But he had a garage door repairman over working on his garage. He said he was playing the raunchiest rock music I've ever heard. At his house, fixing his garage door, right? He says, but I didn't want to tell him to turn it down and be a prude. You know? Huh. His hope was there would be an opportunity to just interact with this guy as he does his job, he does his work, in the atmosphere that he always does it, and comes in and says, now, and was different. Now, I don't have a great ending to that story like, and then he came to know the Lord and bowed his knees in the garage floor and grease on our hands. We praised the No, I don't know how it ended. But he knew that he needed to be in that guy's life, right where that guy was, and be light and salt right there. Now, he didn't start dancing to the raunchy music. He didn't start playing his own raunchy music to outbeat him. Or, you know, out, <laughs> but he was there. He made himself available. He wasn't so offended that he just couldn't be in the presence of someone like that. Who does that remind us of? I, I'm going to use this pose. Pulling in their garments as they walk through the streets so that the sinners don't touch them. Mm. Jesus laid hands on lepers. Didn't become a leper, but changed the leper's spots. We sang that song at the conference too. A broken heart for our nation has to include us in the prayer so that we can minister to the people that are breaking God's heart. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 34 through 38. Neither our kings or our princes, our priests or our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which, uh, which you testified against them. Then Nehemiah does a little them, doesn't he? (laughs) 
For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins, our sins. Then they also have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure. We are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. It's just a prayer of returning. We will return to you, God. Wonderful prayers. I'm not going (laughs) to... Part of me wants to say this. I'll just say it. Let's take two minutes this week, every day, to pray for our nation like this. But inevitably, I don't want to be that person that says, you know, so that you can't show up next Sunday and say, I didn't do the two-minute thing this week. You know, I just meant, and, and some of the two minutes, I'm going to pray for an hour. Well, that's a long time to pray one subject. You try it. I have more power to you. It doesn't take for me more than 30 seconds to pray for something, honestly. I can get my, I get I pretty, con, 30 seconds is even a long time. So I just encourage us, maybe as a fellowship, if you haven't thought about doing it before, pray for our nation this week throughout the week. You know? Include yourself in the demise, in the difficulty, in the fall, you know? Because we're all in this. We're all here, you know? And pray that God might do amazing things. Now, I don't know when that will come about or when that prayer will be answered. I, I, I don't expect next Sunday to be the revival start, to be honest with you. It would be great if it was. But I do expect him to hear those prayers and to, res- and to react to those prayers. He just does. If my people will humble themselves and pray. And I want to humble myself and pray. So I'd encourage us to do that this week. If it, when it comes to your mind, let's put it that way. I don't want to make it like you must do it every day for two minutes. When it comes to your mind, take the time and do it. How's that? That's fair. Verse 137. Our last section for today, by the way, because we have communion and, and so on. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimony or testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Now, one thing I haven't noticed or haven't spoken of in all three of these sections is at the end, it's like, would you, would you teach me again? Would you, uh, like verse 128, therefore all your precepts, I, I want to learn more. Uh, verse 136, uh, one, yeah, 36, uh, I want more. Teach me your, uh, 135, I'm sorry. Teach me your statutes. And then here finally, so he's, he's wanting more is the idea through all three seconds. I know your word. I, I'm living by your word. I'm, I'm small. Nobody notices. Everybody's forgotten your word. But I'm still studying it. I want to know more, you know. 
I don't think you ever get to the end of it. I've heard probably three times from three different people this week alone, whether that was last service on Wednesday, whether that was at the men's conference or whatever. And I was reading this again, and boy, it was even deeper than it was the last time I read it. And we all know that, but we still say it out loud as if we're, you know, <laughs> you know. And he gets that. In this psalm, the writer says, I, I read it. I mean, he's already told us that his eyes fail from reading the Word of God so much, and yet he says, I, I want to know more. Take me deeper. I think with depth comes perseverance. Anybody that's ever tried to get rid of a dandelion in their yard knows there's some depth there that you got to get. Because if you don't get that depth, if you don't get that whole root, it is coming back. You know, So that's a sin version of it, but also God's Word is exactly the same way. The deeper my roots grow, the the more it can withstand drought, the more it can withstand the hardships that come its way, the, the broader the, the, the root system, the better it can withstand the winds and the storms above ground. You know, It's all very important. God's Word is our root system. In fact, before we started using the dove again, we had a tree as our symbol here at Calvary Chapel that the roots were just as, just as much root system as there is above ground, just as much. And I think there's a, a relation to that. The deeper and the more widespread my roots are into God's Word, I'm planted by, living, by, the, by the river of living waters, and His Word is spreading in my life, so I bloom, you know? So I grow. And He knows that. I want more of that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, very simple text, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, You'll save both yourself and those who hear you. There is a lot of power in giving advice and sharing God's word with people, but the most powerful part is your walk and your adherence to God's word in your life. People see it, see the evidence more clearly there. They trust what they see more than what they hear. You know, we got a wonderful note from our wedding from a, a, a family member that wrote to us. We're so grateful for that, you know. Um, nobody writes thank you notes for going to weddings. You don't need to do that. That's not, it's not protocol. You don't do that. Sir. And yet here it came, just a simple note card. And it was a private message, and I'm not going to share it because I think it was very personal and very heartfelt. But there was a testimony that day that spoke to them. And I'm very grateful for that testimony of our, in our lives. That we do say a lot. I mean, I'm up here all the time about God's word. And I'm, and I don't mean that it's like that, but I know, you know, I know. It's another thing to see it in action, I think. It's more powerful. It means more. I know where you stand. I know your YouTube channel. I've seen your Facebook posts. I know all that. But we were in your presence, your family's presence. And that's what spoke. And that's, take heed to yourself into your doctrine. You can share it for sure. Teach, he says later on in that very same book of Timothy, teach, but for sure take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Several times he says this word, take heed, to watch yourself throughout Scripture. We take heed to doctrine, but in Exodus 34, 12, he says, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. There's other things 
I have to watch what I do, and I have to make sure that I don't do certain things too. I need to take heed to myself, that I don't take heed to my doctrine and embrace this world at the same time and take it into my life, making deals with it, covenants with it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. I like the fact that I get to teach my grandchildren. I like teaching my kids, and I have permission to teach my kids. Who else is going to teach my kids? But, but, but now God's Word tells my older kids, I get to teach your grand, my grandchildren too. I still have a say in their life. I can do that. Dad, I wish you wouldn't interfere. Bible says. <laughs> I'm stepping in. Not that I need to. I like this. Josh from the men's conference said, I was teaching my young son, uh, Josh Blevins, the pastor at Grace. I was teaching my young son how to do yard work because it's like a, you know, they come from California. They come from places. It's like a jungle out here. He's just, you're constantly whacking back all the green. And I'm like, you know, that's a blessing. There's a lot of life that just keeps wanting to come. It's not like you're hoping that one plant in the middle of your dead yard's coming up. It's like, yeah, I need something bigger with bigger blades to cut back this stuff, you know. And as I was reading this cross-reference here, I'm going to think, be diligent, to keep yourself, because I tell you what, an, uh, August is an ugly garden. I don't care who you are. You can do your best, but gardens get ugly in August. Because that's when things kind of dry out and the weeds are like, I'm fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> your tomato plants and everything else is like, we need help, you know, kind of thing. Spiritually speaking, I have to do be very diligent to keep sin at bay at my life because it is relentless. And if I do not check it continually, it will creep in. It will, it will choke out. I have to be diligent in that. It doesn't need any help. Sin doesn't need any help in my life. I don't need to water it. I don't have to give it sun. I don't have to do anything to it. It just is fat and happy all through my life. And you just have to constantly be watching Deuteronomy 12:13 Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. Hmm. God says there's a prescribed place and a prescribed way to worship me and that's what I want. Don't be just doing it any old place. Now what does that mean? Well, it means he's got a location, Jerusalem, and, and he wants that. And there's another place also in Scripture where you can offer up that was sanctioned. And I don't want to, you know, you know, turn it into something that it's not. I really don't. I don't want to stretch this out to make, make it something that it's not. But I, I do want to be very diligent and, and uh, intentional about my worship with God. Let's that's, I think, the best way I can put it. I want to be intentional. I don't want to just be willy-nilly. Of course, I can worship in nature, of course. But I do want some formal times with God that I've set aside and specifically purposed in my heart. This is a time set aside for you, God. I'm going to worship you here, now, undistracted, undisturbed. I do want to pray continually throughout my day, no matter who I'm talking to and all that. But I don't want to let that be it. I want to have prescribed places and times, you know. I have my Sunday mornings that I carve out, 
You know, I don't do the milking. I don't go outside the house. I go into the basement. I get my mind right, my heart right. I set myself apart away from the farm is always going to be there. It's going to be what it is, but I cannot be, I've got to get ready for this moment right here, right now. I prescribe times that I do that. Wednesday afternoons, I take the time to get my mind right. Yes, I study. Yes, I can get my notes ready. But I need that time to be nothing but focused on what I'm about to do in about three hours or so. And stay in that zone, you know. It's like a sports thing, I guess. I suppose you go into the locker room, you get your mind right, you get taped up, you're thinking about the game, you're thinking about your plays, you don't have any distractions, you know your phone's with you, no girlfriend's calling and say, I miss you, I hope you do good today. Shut up, stay away, you know. And you're just focused on killing everybody on the field if you're a football player, you know, kind of thing. I think it's important that we take heed to ourselves, that we don't offer our burnt offerings in every place that you see, but have those prescribed times. I think I stretched that scripture out a little bit. Deuteronomy 12.30. Last cross-reference, and then we'll have communion here. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. After they've been defeated, don't be ensnared by them. Don't be enamored with them. The ensnaring is very subtle, isn't it? I'm just curious about what they do. How did they do that again? What was it like? So you, so you, and all of a sudden there you are, you know. God says, don't be curious about that stuff. Don't be ensnared by following after them. I'm destroying those things for a reason. I'm not pushing them out of the way. I'm not, I'm absolutely annihilating them. I don't want to have anything. They're false. They're lies. They're deception. I don't want anything to do with them. Don't be enamored with that. Don't inquire after that. And that's, that's it. That's where we close today. It's not a great segue into communion, but it's where we are. This is the way. <laughs> There's my segue. This is what God has prescribed. He says in Acts 2.42, to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and prayers and in fellowship. Potluck fellowship. We've had God's word. We're going to have the breaking of bread and so on. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread that they were eating and broke it and gave thanks to God for it and told the disciples, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. The sacrifice of the cross the next day, the forgiveness of sins, the the love that is going to be shown at the cross. He wanted us to remember that this morning. With the cup, that same night he took, he gave thanks and blessed it. Before he passed it around, he said, I want you to take this cup of my new covenant, my shed blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me, and that his blood was going to be the, the blood that would be shed for the sins of the world, my sins, your sins, that no other blood could be shed or will be shed for the sins of the world. This is it. And this morning, Lord, we thank you, God, for your love for us, for your sacrifice, for the, the willingness to break your body, to shed your blood in place of ours. We believe that. We accept that this morning. We rest in that. We hope in that. It brings us comfort to know that 
Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, Lord. As we've confessed our sins to you, you've been faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for that, God. That we have your righteousness now imputed to us. Lord, we thank you for this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See Lord, we thank you for this morning and your word. We thank you that we have some place to go for hope. We have some place to go for comfort, Lord. You've provided that for us. Not only have you prepared a place for us in heaven, but even now you've sent the helper, the comforter, to be in us and among us, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you bless us this week as we pray for our nation, as we go through the trials that we go through that you're alongside of us, that you're with us, and we know that we can grab your hand. And you'll walk us through like you do, because you love us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.